This is Death by DVD. I am your host, Alexander Nash, and with me, as always, is my co-host. Hello. Is anyone there? Hello. Hello. Hank, are you there? Did you hear me? Here's to the best of us. It's uh, the Death by DVD Day of the Dead special, even though it's like mid-November now. Yeah, we had some Halloween stuff to take care of, and they left us locked in that uh, cellar afterwards. Took some time to get out of it, and now we're here. I gotta say, now that that's all said and done, I don't like Children of the Corn. No, they're all bad. Uh, Yeah. In retrospect and hindsight, none of them are really good. And Stephen King kind of, this seemed to really bother people. Stephen King kind of sucks, and I'm sorry, but I'm not ever going to refuse Stephen King movies again. I'm done. You will. Do you want to stay on the show, Hank? What do we have? Is there more that we could? Oh, there's plenty more. Dreamcatcher, baby. Let's go into Dreamcatcher. Uh, I will do that. Um, That it's did it. It's great. I'll do that only because I can rap during the Dreamcatcher episode. I, I do not believe at any capacity you've ever been able to rap. Uh, Donnie Wahlberg can rap. I can rap. Mark can rap. It's uh, it, It'll come. We'll rap. We'll do a Death by DVD rap. John Waters did a terrific one for Cecil, 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 Cecilia, Cecil B. Demented that I enjoyed. Oh, that, that rap sequence was terrible. <laughs> that really was the before me almost. I thought it was quite delicious. I got nothing. That's the proper uh, adjective to describe it, Hank. Delicious. Yeah, I, I got a flat intro. So recently, Joe Bob did a Halloween special on October 25th where he spent most of his time ranting about Day of the Dead and played Halloween 1, 4, and 5. Now, most of us didn't end up watching that, and my first thought was, wouldn't it have been a lot cooler if he had played Day of the Dead, since it's streaming on AMC right the fuck now? So they obviously have the rights to it, but that didn't happen. So that idea turned into, uh, hey, we should just talk about Day of the Dead again. Maybe uh, maybe we'll do some really cool deep Day of the Dead talk, and then I never came up with a better idea. So I watched Day of the Dead this week. And now we're going to talk about it. But I have. Did you see anything else besides Day of the Dead? I saw a few things. What did you see, Hank? Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? How do you want to do this? What order? 
I mm-hmm. uh, slipped back into uh, recent my foray in recent movies instead of watching 1930s weird shit with Kirk Douglas in it. And I watched the uh, the Midnight Salami Man split from 2016 uh, with James McAvoy and Anya Taylor-Joy from The Witch. And I enjoyed it for the most part. I generally don't like M. Night Shyamalan movie, movies that much. And I, I still like I enjoyed it, but I didn't particularly care for this. It wasn't uh wowing it was different and it made me i don't know kind of sad more so than anything else which was better than hey it's 1996 and we're living in a state park because that pissed me off that i don't know (laughs) it's just a different i I don't know he seems like his approach has completely changed instead of let's just pull punches and it's it's a horror story so it's got to have you know woo, it's got to be spooky it's got to have a twist it's got to be like william castle it looks like his gimmick is kind of altered to generally storytelling i've not seen glass so i can't really give a, a full statement on how i feel about m night Shyamalan now but i like split i don't even really like i don't want to give it a rating because it's i don't even want to waste time on it it's all else i so watched this week two and a half and it was average yeah yeah no cold points yeah, man, maybe not. Just because it's got other movies associated with it, I've never even seen it. But on a whole, the association, if like it, I've not seen Glass, like I said, so I can't really judge on what's going to happen or how that's going to tell as like a, a former. Apparently, he shits the bed really bad. It's that's what it looks word. like. Yeah, it, it looks pretty awful, just even trailer wise. But like how this formed into Unbreakable and and made like a reference to it was kind of clever. And like that being, if that was just handled as the typical M Night Shyamalan twist, like oh hey, it's Bruce Willis from Unbreakable, that would have been fine. But uh, giving it its own spinoff movie might be a little too presumptuous of M Night Shyamalan with his success of being a writer. <laughs> well, I don't know if I would call him a writer. He's in. Okay, Dre. He's an adequate director. Writer, he writes stuff. So He's not a great writer at all. And he definitely the diaper in the kid's face. Yeah, That's I love right. it. I felt so bad for little poo poo rapper, little MC poo poo pants. <laughs> um, is that all you have to say about Split? Yeah, I was just filling time with it because I watched Split. I, I should have got the Jordan Peele movie. Maybe next week. Well, uh, this week I've got two movies. I didn't watch them all this week, but they're recent, so fuck it. I watched the Soska Sisters version of Rabid, the David Cronenberg classic, the remake, which they just dumped a VOD out of nowhere. It's not terrible. I will say that much about it. It's all right. Um, they have, like, a philosophy behind, like, behind what they're doing. Is even brought up at the beginning of the film that this is a movie mostly about schadenfreude, as they explain even what that, that is at um, the beginning of the film. So the, they're very apparent in going for something in this film, and they're going for, like, almost distasteful at times. But it also focuses a lot about um, beauty. It's almost more of a combo of Rabid and Neon Demon than it is just, like, a remake of um, David Cronenberg's Rabbit because it's about fashion modeling. It's about... Just to interrupt people. you real quick. Yeah. Someone I read compared it to Invisible Monsters by Chuck Palahniuk. Would you say yeah, that's maybe. somewhat apt? Maybe, um, because she has a, like, a face deformity in this that she goes to get some, like, some revolutionary surgery to fix, like, skin grafts and stuff, and that turns her into the parasite woman type situation. It has a lot to say about beauty and beauty's place in society and how people are perceived. At damn near two hours of a running time, it better have something to say, which it does, I'll give them that. 
it does get pretty graphic in a couple of scenes, but it's not as violent as um, I would have expected coming from the Soskatwebs. CM Punk is in it. He is not the best actor. Uh, he, I mean, he's playing a dickhead, so, I mean, I don't know. Uh, but Is he uh, acting? I don't know. He's kind of playing a little bit of himself. But, I mean, he's more of a rapist dickhead than just general dickhead. Um, so A rubber shirt. You. Yeah. And like, the weird thing about it is they don't focus so much on the zombie aspect of it. Like, when the people go, like, you know, crazy, like in the original where this plague gets spread and people start turning into crazy. But, like, that happens in the film, but it's not even, like almost really that important to overall what's going on. It's almost like a little sub story. They don't focus on it that much, but it is there. And the ending gets really fucking weird and crazy. I don't know if I would have particularly gone that direction. Um, it gets a, it, I mean, it can feel a little cheap here and there, but not overall. And I don't know, like I, it says more, it has more of a stance on an issue than say David Cronenberg's rabbit because that's really not about anything at least this film is about something I will give it that and I didn't hate it overall I thought it was a pretty good movie and like a like a different twist on rabbit while still like somewhat paying homage to what the original film was at times um I don't know I'd give it like a three three and a half overall um I would say it's definitely worth a watch. You're, it has a feeling of a more modern film. Um, it is colorful. Those gals can shoot. They really do know what they want in uh, an image, and they do have some striking images in the film, and it's really well handled, like a palette overall. It, they decided to go for like a yellow and greenish palette, which is, I thought was kind of an interesting choice because it's somewhat ugly at times while still being somewhat seductive and attractive. But the one thing I will commend them for is that there's a lot of scenes in this movie where they really let the drama play out. It's not, like, edited with a fucking hatchet. It's not a bunch of quick cuts every five seconds. And they really let some drama happen. They really let some characters, like, develop and show really, like, um, the torment that's inside of her. Because, like, Marilyn Chambers almost doesn't have a character in the original Rabbit, and they really do She give. seems to just be more of a device of yeah. letting the art play out instead of any soul or anything that had, like, balance or storytelling. So they do put a lot of emotion into the, like, certain characters of this, which is kind of antithetical to, um, like, a Cronenberg thing, because really what he's going for is a very sterile and, like, kind of thing, and not insanely emotional so it's kind of different than Cronenberg but that's a good thing they didn't go straight for Cronenberg so I, I will say it's definitely worth a watch it's not my favorite movie of the year nor is it my least favorite but I thought it was pretty decent overall you actually make me want to see it which I completely forgot it existed to be honest I remember reading about it and the Soskas got banned from Twitter for posting pictures from the movie which I think stupid in general if Twitter is supposed to be censorless or, you know, whatever, that there is some limit or things. But it also seemed to be a pretty cool publicity stunt to really get this thing in motion. But I guess it didn't work for me because I completely fucking forgot about it. But it sounds fairly, you know, it sounds worth its time. They dumped it on VOD. It didn't really get, like, I don't think it's just due as far as releases go. I think they, I don't think it was going to do a major run at theaters, but still, it's funny it doesn't advertising help because it just like it just i was like what rabid i didn't even know they had finished it and it was just up so that was like they didn't really communicate that it was being filmed and was finished 
It's so. funny it didn't even get a like disc release. I've been to a Super Target and a Walmart recently, and Three from Hell is all over the place, but nothing, absolutely nothing for Rabbit. Yeah, that's weird, but it's a completely different business now, the way things go. I will but, say uh, I recently found a See No Evil 1 and 2 double set, so the Soskas are available at your local Walmart <laughs> if you look hard enough, if you're into that. Um... But and, and again, in See No Evil 2, like that movie overall, it's kind of a pile of shit, but I really wouldn't say it's particularly there. It looks good. Just be, yeah, but they like they shot it well for what the heck. Cause I know they didn't, there was no budget for it. I know generally like they were hampered with a kind of a terrible first film to follow anyway, but overall, like they took what they got and they made it work. So I think they're really people to watch in the near future of, as far as horror filmmaking goes. They are something new and interesting for my brothers in Canada. Our brother country, Canada. And I also watched on Netflix the My Name is Dolomite movie starring Eddie Murphy as Ruby Ray Moore and the story of how Dolomite came to be. And it was a really cute movie. I don't say cute very much about, like, no, that's very odd. about movies, but it was just out what was weird about watching the entire thing was like, this is like really kind of, I, I know it's a fictional recount of a somewhat fictional. I mean, it's, it's been Hollywoodized of what happened when they filmed um, Dolomite, but it was like, Oh man, this movie feels a lot like Ed Wood. And it really does. It's like, it's, it's spiritual cousin is Ed Wood. And it turns out it's the same writers as Ed Wood. So that explains that. So it's, so it like, still kind of has like that fourth wall of a movie feel that you're watching yes. fictional characters, but it's obviously, you know, real because Ed it Wood feels a lot so, like Ed Wood. Trust me a lot because that took a great deal of liberties, um, you know, sometimes presenting people more so over the top than they were. But like, you know, at the time of his death, Bela Lugosi was uh, horrible into drug addiction and they don't really show quite that badly in Ed Wood, but he's still sleeping in a coffin and really, really bizarre, which I guess his family took some anger to, but I don't know. I'd rather him be shown sleeping in a coffin than shooting morphine in his attic, thinking the Wolfman's coming to get him. Yeah, I mean, so, and that's kind of the same thing you get with this film to where it's... Yeah, I'm sure a lot talking. of the coke use is it's, cut down on a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot more about the fun aspect of what's going on. And, I mean, it's Eddie Murphy, and he is not doing a great Rudy Ray Moore impersonation, but who really cares? That's bizarre. You'd think he would be able to, because I yeah, can't. I'm not going to do it, but... There's not much he can do, because, I mean, Rudy Ray Moore had a very deep voice, and Eddie Murphy doesn't have that deep of a voice. So he's just kind of playing an Eddie Murphy character, but, I mean... Charlie Murphy could have done it. And admirable. Well, the film is dedicated to Charlie Murphy, if that tells you anything. <laughs> Charlie definitely should have done this role. Rest but in peace, overall, Charlie Murphy. You were the best of us. It's definitely worth the watch. I, I think it's a lot of fucking fun. I, it's, uh, I'd say it's a four star out of five. Movies. Wow. So the beginning of this episode of Death by DVD started with me completely fumbling and dropping the ball with, eh, split, mm, M. Night Shyamalan, and then two somewhat provocative movies that sound fairly interesting and like a pleasant 90-minute experience from you. So one of us is useful. The other, <laughs> I, I came up with the whole concept for this, watched Day of the Dead, and now we're here. That's, <laughs> didn't do a lot this week. I'm still just... I've been in a rut, to be completely honest. I've not been able to find things to really get into. It's just that hole of surfing through Tubi and Shudder or whatever app you might use. I've been using Amazon Prime a lot lately, and I end up settling on something I've seen. I watched Deep Red like 
six times after we finished the Children of the Corn thing, not out of searching for it, uh, you know, turn on shutter slash X8 Deep Red Zone, and I don't feel like surfing. So sometimes you hit that wall of just, I, I, I don't know what to watch. I, I kind of wish Joe Bob had done Day of the Dead, so I'm just, I'm going to watch Day of the Dead. So certainly now I'm going to check out at least My Name is Dolomite, because that, it looks fun. I mean, the way you've described it makes it even sound like more of a adventurous ride. And I've shit on the Soskas quite a lot before, and I don't know, they're, they're really good at what they do. I just never can get behind the stories that they tell. So I'm excited to check out their Cronenberg remake. You got me this week. Yeah, I mean, like, the way I handle finding stuff to watch, especially on streaming, I mean, I search over and over again, but I just keep an eye on things that I know are coming out, or I just go to Amazon Prime and see what's brand fucking new, like, for VOD, that's the best way to do it is just check Voodoo or Amazon Prime on brand new stuff and anything you're interested in, just kind of make a mental list. Because other than that, it's all a big mess of finding fucking anything anymore. If anyone out there in Radio Land has the Criterion channel last month, they put up most of the uh, 60s through early 70s H.G. Lewis movies, and I've been slowly working my way through those. I mean, it's starting early 60s. Yeah, serial box set. (laughs) It's almost everything on the box set. A lot of them are with the commentaries and special features that carried over from that. So, I mean. That is not everyone's cup of tea, and it is tedious work to sit down and, you know, do two or three H.G. Lewis movies in a row and not get kind of turned off a little bit. And there's nothing wrong with them. It's just they are massively dated, and no matter how nice the restoration is, still, oh, God, 2000 Maniacs just, it didn't age well. It didn't age well. If you've seen, like, the the big stuff in H.G. Lewis's canon, you know, the 2000 Maniacs, the blood piece of stuff, and you start going deeper into like stuff like Moonshine Mountain and like the teen delinquency movies. Oh dear God, is it just? It's really hard to get through at certain points unless you're particularly geared for that kind of film, like just a 1960s sleaze ruffy or something like that. That's I mean, there's a lot of that in that box set as well. Just some real goofball bullshit that I think Lucky Pierre's in that box set. I'm not positive. It's a rough haul trying to digest and come up with coherency for a lot of this. But I think some of the enjoyment is, you know, watching these things and then going and reading very flouty, uppity reviews of people trying to take H.G. Lewis seriously. And uh, I don't know, maybe that's something we'll do. We'll jump into the H.G. Lewis box set one day and do political synopsises of 2000 Maniacs and why it was made. Uh, money? Yeah. And H.G. Lewis, if he were still alive today, he would say, yes, I did it for money. I did it because I could easily have an advertising campaign around this and double, triple and even quadruple my money just on a title alone. He would look you dead in the eye and say, what political meaning can I sell you a brochure? (laughs) Because that's what he was doing when he stopped making movies. So we were talking about the Soskas in Canada, and I guess here's a rotten segue. George Romero, he died in Canada. (laughs) What a segue. (laughs) He died in Canada. Died in old Toronto, home of David Cronenberg, who directed Rabid that the Soskas recently remade. There's your segue. Yeah, this is uh, a, a generally loose idea, but we, had, we we did two Stephen King shows back to back that were both about two hours each. And then we did the, the Corninning, the Halloween Harvest, and that, as uh, we've said a few times, God, that was rigorous. But it, and it was 
unfortunately, both of us went into that with such positive notions of this is going to be great. It's going to be a good Halloween. We're going to have a lot of fun this year. And uh, I don't know. I think it was probably around the time uh, of the beginning when I watched In the Tall Grass that I, I knew. Oh, horrible mistake. <laughs> yeah. I'm sitting there watching that going, this could possibly be one of the best Stephen King adaptations of all time. I'm really liking this. That was like 15 minutes in, maybe 20 minutes in, and then about an hour in, I'm like, this is going to go bad places, isn't it? And it just went bad places from then on. Unfortunately, that's where I think that show completely went in general. Um, Stephen King territory might not be the greatest territory for us, but his best friend, on the other hand, we're very, very fond of. Day of the Dead was Ramiro's favorite uh, out of the entire trilogy, and I, I'll boldly say mine, too. Oh, it's yeah. funny. I uh, We've talked about this guy a few times on the show, and I respect him and think he's a really great guy, but I recently read that Cleve Hall hates Day of the Dead, and that was one of the... Why? I don't know. It, it's just one of those things that made me want to talk about the movie even more, that there is such a, a big base of people that, you know, in the Ramiro community and the horror community hate this fucking movie, and it baffles me. Uh, it, it's just, it looks too, it's too bright. It doesn't look like a Ramiro movie. I don't see that. This It's too bright. It takes place underground. There's like two bright scenes, the beginning and the very end. Uh, it, it does have enough night footage in it. It's Day of the Dead. I mean, I, I'm sorry. Somebody turned on the lights. But it, out of Ramiro's, I don't know, entire film catalog, Day of the Dead's probably at the, the top of my list of favorite movies. Probably just on a list of favorite movies of all time, not even his favorite horror movies. Day of the Dead will be always pretty pretty high at the top of that list. Well, see, I saw them all out of order. I started with Day, then Dawn, then Night. And I saw Day when I was eight years old, and it fucked me up real hard. Um, Because it was just like, oh, God, this is intense. But over the years, Day, I didn't watch it as much. I watched Night and Dawn, and then slowly when I was in, like, high school, I started watching Day, like, a lot. Like, I started watching it, like, at least a couple of times a month. I got really obsessed with that movie for a while. And I think it's by far the most, like, frightening of them all. It's the most dour. It's the most downbeat. It's the darkest one. And I don't mean in a light sense, just that there is no fucking hope and everyone's a incredible douchebag. But what's the real point of continuing on is a lot of what this message of this movie is, is just what are we actually doing at all anymore? Why are we even here hanging out with these assholes? Yeah, the, the, the big thing that I always thought was completely remarkable is even in a small group of people, no one can get along. And that's always been a theme with Ramiro's work, especially with the zombie films. I mean, Dawn of the Dead presents ignorance with bliss almost that these people become friends and family. And with that, they end up you know, exiling these bikers who in turn fuck them up because they can't share their land. No one can get along, even in small spaces. Then you continue that kind of concept with Day of the Dead. No matter what, these people, the world is fucking ending and crumbling around them. There is no hope, and it's still, let's blast them. We'll shoot them out. We'll get, fuck them. Let's get out of here and go where? Do what? Even at the end of the world, no one can sit down and talk things out and have decency. And you don't really, like... It doesn't matter who the characters are. For the most part of the movie, yeah, the military guys are dicks. Rhodes is a sociopath and has 
severe fucking problems, but there's no one to sympathize with. Like Frankenstein's not a good guy whatsoever. We don't know what Lori, who she is or any of these people. Terry Sarah. Alexander, Sarah. Yeah, it's, it's Lori Cardell, but yeah. um, Sarah. Yeah, we're going to get confusing with the names here pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a lot bad. Like Jarreth Conroy is McDermott and um, Terry Alexander. I always forget his character's name. Um, John. John, for the life of me still, did we ever figure out what the hell? Her- is it Harris? Who Who is John Amplis in this movie? We've seen it a million times. Fisher. Uh, Fisher? Is that Dr. Fisher. I, I know exactly who he, he is. I don't remember the character's name at all. Yeah, I, I can never recall the character's name. I think it's Dr. Fisher, because when he gets shot in the head, spoilers, if you've never seen fucking Day of the Dead and you're a massive John Amplis fan, he unfortunately meets his demise tragically toward the end of this film, but... Um, do I have to say spoilers with a weird Day of the Dead show that's not particularly about anything? I don't think so, because we're just going to get into it and probably... Oh, let's do some spoilers. It's probably going to get political. I'm sorry. Most things are. Which is <laughs> a big nature, you know, in general with a movie. It's a Romero movie, man. Don't expect me not to talk about politics. Well, I mean, even looking at what I was just going with is is these people in a small format can't get along, that no one can get along, that that even in the 80s was the indifference of political climate and, and what was going on with the world. And they what what this movie came about pretty much because Ramiro got a three picture deal and the three picture deal was on the guys that he would do a sequel to Dawn of the Dead. So he went ahead and did Night Riders and Creepshow, then did Day of the Dead and the original idea was, was ridiculous. I mean, it was a $7 million idea. It was a mixture of what ended up happening with Land of the Dead. There was a, an above-ground complex and boats and explosions and jungles and swamps, and it is very, very, very over-the-top. Uh, Greg Nicotero says the, the greatest zombie script ever written. Romero took all those aspects and all those things and, as a, a real writer does, cut it down to what actually matters and made, a, I think, a, a much better movie than what would have ended up happening with Day of the Dead. And it is Pretty kind positive of... It's eternal. Don't fix shit. Yeah, whatever he ended up originally making could have been fine, but I don't think... And, you know, he agrees that this is probably one of his strongest movies, his favorite out of the Dead series, and what he did was took the core basic... It's the exact same story, it's just not as uh, grand. He just took what was important, cut it down, some things had to be removed, and then as we saw with Land of the Dead, that wasn't a great product. Not that it's an awful movie by any means, it's just not that good either. And well, it's because it's so a bit much, over the top. He took out so much of the action and focused out what the core elements of the story that he was trying to tell really were. And a lot of it is just like, like just ignoring the problem totally like that's i mean really where we're at now is just like well let's like how how does day of the dead start with you know um salazar miguel having this breakdown in the helicopter and and yelling at sarah you know it's fucking great you can deal with this but you're just stronger than me and just you know everyone's standing there no one cares you know zombies are at the gates roaring let's fill this up let's let's grow our weed major cooper's dead who cares no one has any emotion what do you mean that you guys didn't find anything? Oh, well, let's go eat some spam in a can underground. Not one of these people looks around them, you know, and is frightened. What do you mean you guys flew 100 miles up the coast each way and couldn't find anything? No survivors? They're just smoking pot like it's fine, like it's a party. And that's what how people deal with it. That's the world right now. Literally, it's fucking burning. And it's, well, hey, weed's getting legalized. So fuck, jewel pods are killing people burials are killing people. I don't know what to do. And 
that's what you're concerned with, not the world falling down around you. It's, you know, well, weed's not legal in my state. Meh. All right. Uh, it's just, I mean, really, Day of the Dead ends up having a lot to do about people battling over who's in control and really doesn't matter. Does it even matter who's in control? It's ever? the concept of, of you know, what control means to people, being a king, having that that power, being on top, that having these people below you or listening to you, what it fulfills and and complete truth. I mean, look what happens once Road Rhodes becomes the king of the hill. Things completely digress and, and go to shit. And they, they all end up because fucking dying. He needs respect. You must respect me. It's like, what's the point of fucking respecting you at any point whatsoever because really the military dudes i mean if you want to relate it to these times the military dudes just want to take care of the problem they just want to blast everything like just wall themselves off from everything and just fuck all of this and why are we even trying and well, it's like scientists the- are more of just like well we got to find out really what the problem is before we deal with the problem we actually want to deal with the actual problem and not just the consequences of the problem when Rhodes tells Rickles to shoot Sarah right before that happens, there's a whole joke of uh, Rickles says, like, I'm not getting paid enough for this shit. And Nicotero's character is like, I'm not getting paid at all. And, and they all have this big fucking laugh. Uh, I think Steele says it, actually, and Rickles laughs. And well, it doesn't matter who fucking said it. But uh, it, it, my whole point is they it's just it's a joke to them. It's not even a, a military thing anymore. It's these fucking eggheads are going to get us killed. So we have to secure our beer, our weed, and let's just kill these things so we can party. And, and Rose doesn't out care. Fucking tomb, which is what it is. Or men, like, a 14 mouth tombstone. Tomb, yeah, tomb, of what well, once was, as Terry Alexander so brilliantly soliloquies, um, that we're holding on to all this shit of the past. And why? Who's ever going to even give a shit about it? We have to move on to what our future is. Why are we even trying to save the past? Because he ends up being the smartest character in the film, which is like, we just... Him and McDermott. Get away. Yeah, him and McDermott. Just We gotta get away from this and just like, live out our days because that's all we've got left. The, the world has changed. And we can't somewhat. do anything about it. There's nothing. We can't even blow them all away. We, we're not going to be able to solve the problem medically, or we're not going to be able to blow them all away. So we just have to do what's best for ourselves and just get the fuck out of here. Well, somewhat, I think that is definitely George Romero. Like, that. That's that. those two characters combined, I think, are George as a person. And what's funny is the Terry Alexander character was supposed to be this big, lumbering, six-foot-nine massive guy and uh terry actually took it that it was kind of a mixture of, of george himself and how he acted but he ended up scoring the role regardless which was great terry alexander really made it but a lot of this like appears in dawn of the dead that you have with uh, the ken foray character he's a little bit more depressed and at the end of the original he, he kills himself he or the original cut he kills himself and then he you know the, the theatrical he decides to to go on and they attempt to go to the island or whatever we don't know what happens at the end of the movie and then you go to night of the living dead the ben character is a bit more progressive and still sort of that in the middle chaotic neutral character that just wants to get out of the situation but it's never been more prevalent with these uh, with two characters as it was with mcdermott and uh the terry Alexander character in day of the dead that they are truly the progressive notion of like things have to change 
but you guys aren't going to do it. We have to do the change. You guys are sitting and studying cut up brains, trying to train them and they're trying to shoot them and we're wasting time. We need to get out of here and we need to live. Survival is what's important. You guys aren't surviving. We're just wasting time for records no one's ever going to care about. Let's get out of here and live. Let's make tomorrow better and we're running out of booze. I'm fucking McDermott. If there ever was a better <laughs> representation of a character for me, I just fuck with the radio and I drink and I, I hate loudmouths. Uh, I'm Ampless. That's a given. Everyone knows it. I'm going to get shot in the head. You look like the character. Uh, that's that's a given, but I really, really, and I don't know if you'll find this as an insult, but if you were a character in Day of the Dead, I take you as Sarah. You have the best intentions of trying to get things done, but you're on a, like, side. You have a mission. You don't want to get past it, and that's not a bad thing. It's just Sarah doesn't... I don't think she's misguided. I think she is a firm believer and isn't as nihilistic. And I don't think Terry Alexander or McDermott are nihilist per se, but I think that she's the only person that still has hope to where everyone else, they even gave in before. Like she makes notion when she comes down and visits them at the Ritz that uh, you guys haven't done anything. You don't do anything dangerous. What do you, you fucking sit back here and drink and they pour her a, a bigger drink that it does. What's the point? It doesn't matter. And she's still the most important thing, though. They're surviving. They're coming yeah. out of all the bullshit and they're surviving. But who at the end of the day turns out to be the never fail guy? It was the fuck it. Shit don't matter. It was the two nihilists, quote unquote, that were sitting at the back table drinking the whole time are the only ones that actually helped her that cared because she had true faith. She truly wanted a better tomorrow. And it's not like John Ampla's character doesn't seem to do anything. I mean, is he, he obviously at some point, but what even like what you, that's one of the problems I've always had with day of the dead is there's not a lot of clarity to what their, their reasoning or point of being here is now, obviously the military is protecting them while they find a cure for the zombie virus. But when did it spiral out of control? How long have they been there? When did Frankenstein fucking snap? Because when they find the tape recorder and, uh, Nicotero's head and the shit he's saying and it's just he's obviously spiraled into complete and utter psychosis and is gone yeah, completely mad because he's a vestige of the old world he is somebody who's deeply fucking flawed he might be a genius but he's also a psychopath yeah there's some like weird down with the sickness mommy thing going on that I always yeah, yeah I mean, he's, he's beating on the zombies I'll like, be there in a his... minute mommy mommy come I'll be there in a minute mommy Acting on his frustrations on them, like and he's almost just as bad as the military at a certain point. Because I mean, yeah, it's a zombie. It, who cares if you abuse it? But at the same time, it's more about what's inside of the abuser than it is the abusee. He's just kind of beating the shit out of them. And granted, he has figured some things out, but all he wants to do is get them to behave. An old world notion of just you have to behave because that's what society is: is behavior, and that's true. But at a certain point, society is gone. It's broken down, and there's no point in behaving. To a certain extent, there's a point of having morals, but I don't even, like... Well, again, I think Frankenstein's going about it the wrong way is my point. I mean, Sarah starts to uncover and see what Frankenstein's doing, especially with Bub, and she's absolutely horrified, and she doesn't necessarily side with the military, but she thinks 
his attempts to humanize these things. It's not ridiculous, and it's obviously obviously happening, and he's able to do it, but it's incredibly dangerous. She recognizes the risks. She recognizes that he is completely slipping, but what, what's the alternative? You know, turn him over to Rhodes, turn him over to these absolute apes, these psychotic monsters that, I mean, are on the, the just fringes of, of rape and murdering everyone. I mean, they're not friendly. These aren't good people. They're obviously always fucked up. They're walking around with guns. They're monsters. You know, they're just trying to phrase it as times right now. I mean, you see these people going into the gas station with two fucking nine millimeters on their belt and an AR-15 in the back window of their lifted truck. What what are these? What are, what are you, are, are you just intimidating all of us? Is that your point that you yes. are, a, you're a caveman with a big dick that we better not fuck with? And that's what these guys are. And that's what, that is essentially what's happening. So there's no uh, well, alternative. There's- she can't turn Frankenstein over to him, but she recognizes he's doing something wrong, that something's slipping with him. At the end of the day, the military are the most afraid. I mean, they're ignoring everything because they're afraid. And that's why well, that's, yeah, they, they can't accept guns and everything else is just because they're terrified of dying. And it's, well, unfortunately, point, anyone that cares? can't accept change is afraid, and that's why they can't accept change. So, I mean, it is dangerous what Frankenstein's doing, but... Yeah, maybe if he had been dealt with normally and they had been, you know, the the military and the scientists had gotten along and had worked as a partnership, Frankenstein wouldn't have gone crazy. I mean, they, they who was it? Major Cooper is alluded to have being a, a big giant asshole, but Rhodes is far, far worse. So beforehand, how much stress were these people dealing with if there was a dick and Rhodes? So these people had a lot going on and how many... I think the Rhodes makes notion that five of theirs had died as only one scientist had died. So a lot of the military, who knows how long they'd been there and how much they had been dealing with these stresses, but still Frankenstein's reaction, his behavior, I mean, he was fucking batshit. Going he into was this, always batshit. Yeah. He, like he's a one of those geniuses who is also a closet psychopath that he's always been like damaged and like honestly he kind of likes the world this way because it's a puzzle for him to figure out he has no actual social structure that he depends on for anything other than civility that he was taught under a brute fist of fucking discipline that's the only thing he knows why you have to be civil because you're going to get hit that's now, why you got to behave I know this would have completely ruined the tone of the movie, but if Ramiro had been able to, you know, do the original script and the above ground complex, I always had this great idea of like a Dr. Moreau Frankenstein mix up where he's, you know, trying to do like animal zombies and shit like that. And I just always (laughs) I thought the character was one of the most fascinating with the movies, because when he starts when he's you know presented to you, it's, it's obvious he's very different from everyone else, that he's a bit more unhinged in his concept of reality doesn't seem to be the same as the, the rest of the scientists nor the military whatsoever and then he he's just so defiant and he's so uh, com- complex com- you want to have sympathy for him but as you slowly find his, his unraveling of sanity and you start seeing despite them being zombies the awful things he's doing to ho- former humans I mean they're flesh eating zombies yes but they have no control of that it's not their fault you can't you know, hate them because of it. So there's still a concept of, of humanity, I feel, and being able to, you know, just rip these things apart, dissect them, cut their heads off, 
even though you've lived with him for months, known these people, that he's he's really lost a part of him as a human being and is turning into a monster, but you still feel bad for him. When he's killed, you, you feel really upset. And then obviously when Bub freaks out, that's one of the saddest parts of the movie. Just absolutely fucking Howard Sherman, Sherman Howard, however you want to say his name, one of the, you know, complete gems in this movie. A Boris Karloff-like performance of just... I mean, he's the most sympathetic character in the film. He's the most human character in the film out of all of them. Although I would, uh, like, Sarah is a strong contender for that as well because she is still very human. I mean, she's got a hard... I think Sarah is who you exterior. want like if, if like everyone inside had the right notions of, of right and wrong and, and getting through things, I think you want to be a Sarah. But, you know, like I don't think anyone goes into life and wants to be McDermott. Who wants to be a pessimistic drunk that fucks with the radio? Like <laughs> not all of these things are what you want, but Sarah truly is is hopes and dreams and a better tomorrow and a believer. And that is that again, like referencing other Ramiro movies, this is a massive concept that I think a lot of George is poured into. Also, the the Sarah character, and obviously, it's like Ed Harris and Knight Rider that sometimes your hope and dreams can really fuck you over. Well, your hopes and dreams can ultimately kill you, and you have to be chasing able to, the dragon. You have to be able to bend to a little bit of change, and that's really again the same thing that we're been talking about with all Romero movies is characters resistant to change and to old ways and being stuck and you have to live a new reality because the world constantly changes you can't hold on to the past you can't hold on to what once was you have to move and grow with the world as it is shaping in front of you because you literally have no control over it it's going to progress no matter what it's like one of my favorite scenes from Land of the Dead when the the whole complex is going to shit and the zombies are all over the place and Dennis Hopper is with his driver trying to get out of there and he, he loses all of his money. And it's just, that's one of the most remarkable and hysterical moments of the entire movie and that's Ramiro coming out. That's the always inherent political nature of George Romero coming out of this idiot has been stockpiling money. The dead are eating the flesh of the fucking living. What are you, you going to spend it on? What's the point? Yeah, what is the point in all of this? You're... And it's just not letting go. It's the inability of people to change. And it's not like it's all boomers. It's not Gen X. It's not millennials. It does. It's not a terminology. It's the inherent nature of human beings, male or female. People fear change. People don't want to change. And when people are comfortable, they will never goddamn do anything to break that bubble. And that is clearly present in any situation of discomfort those look especially at in politics especially modern politics as well it's the same thing everybody is obsessed when we, they were the most happy and comfortable in their life and usually that was their late teen years into their 20s and they just want life to be like that forever but it can't be and it won't be sure the music on the radio is not the music i grew up with and i don't particularly like a lot of it i still have mild music that I can listen to but just to sit here and say why aren't there no more rock bands on the radio I love the rock and roll because it's just a different generation and it's progress into another direction there's still rock and roll there's still bands doing rock and roll it's just I mean, let's you look at domination over the culture anymore and you have to be open to that because you can't fucking stop it well, I mean, let's look at trends throughout times. You know, people hated the Beatles. Uh, Kiss was Knights in Satan's Service. They're awful. Ban them. Burn their records. 
D. Snyder is a transsexual. Lou Reed's gonna turn all of our kids into junkies. Stop sagging your pants. Why do you have to have your ass down all the time? Why do they have to call women bitch? Those are thugs. Look at how they dress. What's dabbing? What does yeet mean? It's all the same shit. You've just become your parents. You've just become that part of society that you spent your whole... I, I listened to fucking metal. I've listened to Metallica and Slayer my whole life. Fuck this gay shit. I'm not gonna listen to this dumb... So you're becoming the same people that told you to get a haircut and ditch that jacket back in 1986 because you looked like a fucking girl. What? You, you've become the enemy. Well, and back to somewhat Day of the Dead, you're trying to hold on to your control over it. You're trying to hold over, like... Well, we can apply this to... The world. But you can't, folks. You're just going to end up like goddamn Rose. There is no controlling this madness. The, it's Bruce Lee, baby. Be like, Be like water, water and just go with it. <laughs> That's the only thing you can do. Well, let's look at some of these characters, some of the military guys. Not, I mean, some of them are obviously uh, in their true nature douchebags like Steel. He's presented, he's just a guy. At the end of the movie, it's very inherent he's a fucking bigot, that he's a racist piece of shit. And he, because he's a big pussy who's scared of everything. He's just putting on his fucking Ugg man, caveman persona. Yeah, but before that, that's, that's what I mean. Him and Rickles before that, they, they're they two of the biggest ones when I reference people just not giving a shit about what's going on. But for the most part, they're just dudes. They don't, they, they pick on Salazar a little bit, but look at Salazar's behavior. L- look at the situation around them, and this guy's crumbling. He's the only one getting laid and getting special treatment. He's getting picked on. That makes sense. He's a bit of a fucking weak link in the first place, and that's very obvious. Rhodes is a douchebag. We know that. But all of these personalities colliding, when you have this Rhodes, this douchebag character, everyone is going to want to be like him. Everyone's going to want to impress him because, you know, you're going to get special treatment because of that. So these people's true nature starts slipping out and seeping outward. So if they were dicks, they're obviously going to be provoked to be more of a dick. And that starts to be what happens. And then the scientists have no leader. You know, Sarah's doing whatever. Uh, Fisher is doing whatever. I assume they're both working. And then you've got the other two living outside of the complex and the underground completely away from everyone. Who And again, like, Sarah goes and visits uh, Terry Alexander and McDermott and has obviously never seen their place. So how long have these people all been living together and not one person has had a conversation? They sleep together, they eat together, they have meetings, but no one has communicated whatsoever. Again, the lead problem in Night of the Living Dead, absolutely no one communicated. The second the Coopers came upstairs, it began to argue with Ben. And then no one, I mean, Ben was in the wrong in this situation too. Someone could have said, all right, look, we're both really heated. Let's sit down and talk about this and try and make some sense out of this and come up with something instead of yelling at each other. What are we going to solve? by fighting nobody ever had that common sense now like in dawn of the dead flyboy and roger and peter they're not always getting along and you know flyboy is kind of the reason everything goes to hell with them in the long run but regardless they at least had communication dawn of the dead was a much more communication based movie and really what makes day of the dead frightening is yes the world's ending it is probably the the greatest piece of special effects magic that tom savini's ever done but the lack of communication between humans is the scariest goddamn thing in this movie if they could have just talked and how long were all of them down there before anyone spoke all they did was fight all they did was have animosity those fucking science nerds are going to get us killed with those things next door and god the military's a bunch of dicks not one person decided to just say 
what can we do here? How can we make this a better environment? How can we save the world? Nobody communicated and they all perished. And that's a big problem. If you don't fucking communicate, things are going to crash and burn quickly. So much of that is ego. And I mean, if you get into sociologically and emotionally, what makes up a human, what makes up human behavior, a good portion of human behavior, like most fights, most instances of violence have to do with a fight or flight reflex. You're basically having a fucking panic attack and people get scared. And when do people start throwing fists is because they get scared. And why do they puff up their chest to make themselves look bigger than they are? Because my ego is going to get bruised. My ego will get bruised. It's all about just fighting over what you think you are as opposed to what you really are inside. And that's a good portion of the problem with the military is they're all pretending to be the people that they are. And they're not actually confronting the actual issues psychologically within them. When they get afraid, make a gay joke push somebody else down make them well, most of them don't even themselves. seem to like have a have a grasp or a grip of of what's going on that when they land at the beginning of the movie and it's nicotero and i can't think of the other guy that's outside when they're greeted none of like what's going on they're all very very surprised to hear that 100 miles up the coast both ways that they've not found something and they're all somewhat annoyed but like they're outside farming grass man they're growing pot they're just chilling like nobody seems to have any serious depth it's more like a college frat environment of you know we're just chilling these fucking nerds are doing whatever down the hall so there's just no uh, middle ground none of these people have even informed you know frank frankenstein's out there doing whatever he's obviously not even telling his own people so the scientists have no leadership there's no connection the so it's all these military guys are afraid they have nothing but fear they're not being informed and we're not even told what happens to Major Cooper. The movie begins with, was he sick? Did he get bit? Was he hurt? How did he die? And then, you know, Frankenstein has his body and is operating on him. So is there something more heinous going on? Is Frankenstein fucking poisoning and killing people to use fresh cadavers? Who knows? There's a lot of other angles in the pressure cooker here that all of these people have been under an immense amount of stress and their, their true selves are starting to come out like Salazar is a great example. He's, he's obviously a, a military He's the most guy. human character of the entire film because, it, yeah, I mean, exactly. he's I mean, the he's, one who's actually experiencing the range of emotions that a person would experience in this situation. He is cracking up because there's just too much pressure. I'm not talking about, like, you know, job pressure or uh, oh, I'm going to die pressure. It's just everything in the world is well, fucked he's and come- he just doesn't have to deal with it. Well, he's come to the realization that nobody else has. You know, Sarah is a a true believer in a better tomorrow, and she is struggling and working nonstop to make uh, tomorrow livable. Then you've got the two guys living out on the fringe that have accepted fate. If they die, they die. If they get out, they get out. But no matter what they know, no one's going to kill the guy that can run the radio and fly the whirlybird. So they're safe and they're not expendable. Everyone else lives in complete constant fear, so they've just immerse themselves with uh, evading what's going on except Salazar that he realizes I mean even if we get out of here what's going to happen and that's pretty much an opening you know statement that he flips out on Sarah of you know you're so strong you're good for you what do you want to clap on the back you know good great you're strong what's that what purpose does that serve then when he wakes up from his drug-induced nap that she puts him under he immediately says you're fucking full of shit you think 
that we're going to get out of here. And I'm paraphrasing. You think that there's going to be sunshine and roses and we're going to be able to apple pick and, you know, you're fucking full of shit. And she doesn't want to deal with that because she knows, you know, Frankenstein She has to have the hope because if we have hope, you have well, nothing. That's why she tells him to get the fuck out because she knows, you know, Frankenstein is, is wasting our time. Our resources are dwindling. I don't know what tomorrow is going to be like, but I'm still going to try. And I can't I'm not going to listen to you. Tell me not to try. Get out. And then, you know, a fight breaks out and she finally, you know, goes and goes to the Ritz and starts getting a new perspective that, yes, what you're doing. And Terry Alexander straight up says, we just don't believe in what you're doing. It's not that we're wow. against you. You're wasting time. You're not going to find the cure. The, the solution is that we need to survive. We need to worry about ourselves for once and not records that nobody cares about and not numbers that nobody cares about. Let's survive. These guys are fucking creeps. And... It's, you know, a lot is shown with their behavior, and I don't want to paint a picture that the military guys are just completely misunderstood, but, I mean, they're all abhorrent racist bigots. They all completely seem to be drunk and stoned. You know, it was just a matter of time before she's going to get raped and killed. That it, it was evident that these guys were going to come for her at some point in time with oh, their yeah, behavior. It's, it's going to break out into one giant fucking shithead frat party that I mean, look what no happens, one's going to survive except, and even with when that happening, the military guys are going to turn on each other eventually and no one's going to survive. No one. Well, that's, I mean, that's else. exactly what happens. Rhodes sees the zombies coming down the, uh, the elevator and he takes off on the fucking golf cart and leaves these people behind. He doesn't have any affinity or brotherhood or care for any of the guys that he's lived with. He just wants to blindly survive, even though he, where are they going to go? If that was the only entrance in and out, he's just blindly running out of complete fear to, what, lock himself in a room? I mean, it's futile. I guess so. I'm not really not sure what he was up to other than I just got to keep myself alive because where does he go when he can't go on the elevator? I guess I'm going to have to make my way through the tunnel following them. Yeah, I always wondered with Day of the Dead what the hell Rhodes was doing at the end of the movie and where he was going. And I do enjoy you get a good look at all of the characterizations of who these people are as they die. Like um, Steele obviously was a man of faith and maybe felt some sort of redemption before he shot himself. Rickles is just his death is one of my absolute favorites with the psychotic Holy screaming. Shit. Yeah, just wow, just laughing his ass off as his eye gets cracked. torn out. Just totally cracked at that point. Um, and, but that's been his character through the whole movie. Like, I love when they find that Salazar has ripped out the mechanics for the, the, the door to go up, that he's just yelling like, well, can't you fucking fix it? The book's here. I mean, we got the fucking book. Just fucking fix it, man. Just fucking fix it. And that's they don't have a grasp. None of these people have a grasp on the reality of the situation they're in. None of them. I don't know, fucking paid attention that the dead are eating the living and all the shopping malls are closed. Yeah, I mean, they're really just at this point going through the motions of what they've been taught their whole lives of just, you know, keep the man, keep the order together. And really, is, is there a point? Is there a point to anything that's going on? Because Terry Alexander is completely right. Is there a point to any of this, of anything of what we're doing? The world is fucked. It's gone. There's nothing we can do. So what are we going to do about ourselves at this point? And even another good look at the complete and total lack of communication when they go back to get the morphine after Salazar's arms cut off. Uh, McDermott is absolutely horrified upon finding what Frankenstein's been working on. So these two guys are just completely cut off. They have 
no involvement, no masters. They go live out on the fringe and no one fucking talks to them unless somebody needs to fly the helicopter or uh, aimlessly try and get a hold of the radio. No one knows what's going on. That's one of the really, really frightening and scary things, you know, even looking into the Frankenstein character of what he's doing and how many bodies he's been working on. I mean, they've got this big cattle almost like I can't even think of what to call it, but, you know, where all the zombies are at. Uh, so what do they they have to go get those and tag cattle them? And write, yeah. So they've got this cattle shoot filled with zombies that they're going out and getting like the so daily life for these soldiers is let's go get these zombies, put it in the cattle shoot. And then Frankenstein just works on them and no one communicates. I mean, that itself is a situation that can't do anything but build horror and tension and fear that nobody knows what's going on. Everyone's been blindly working on brain samples, which it's kind of cool. They actually use a real slices of human brains for those very, very brief scenes that show Sarah and Dr. Fisher working that uh, that's, that's human brains. Kind of yeah. weird how easy it is to get human brains to, to shoot on a movie. But in general, I mean, this is probably the most apocalyptic look that Romero's ever had. Probably the least amount of hope. There is a little bit of hope at the end of the film. Don't get me wrong. I mean, but even down to land of the dead, there's still a good I amount of people. I think it's more of a, a self-hope that you need to look at the three surviving characters and their attitudes and their, their various levels of uh, maybe not even nihilism, but more of a Taoist nothing matters sort of thing and how they survived and got out of it and like how pig-headed everyone else was. Well, yeah, I mean... Like, if you get into Land of the Dead, whatever the guy's name is, Simon something, I can't remember the character's name from Land of the Dead because no one's very memorable in that movie at all. I but, only uh, remember one character's name, and that's Johnny Legs, Johnny Lasagna, as Cholo. As Cholo. Um, but at the end, he's, I just want to get to a place where, you know, there are no wolves. And I just want to get the hell out of here. I just want to get away from all of this society and just not have to worry about any of this shit anymore. Not have to worry about petty disagreements, not have to worry about anything going on. And apparently that's Toronto. Very much so. <laughs> that's pretty much what Romero did. I'm going to stop fighting the system. I'm going to Toronto. And I'm it's gonna really neat to look at what, like, George is obviously a character in every movie he's ever made. Like, like, no matter what he is, and it's not always like the right or the good guy, like, like the dead zone, not the dead zone. Um, the oh God, the, yeah, I was like, up oh, here comes the wet brain. It, it's, all, it's starting 58 minutes in. OK, the the dark half um, obviously is a lot of Ramiro and Stephen King mixed into that character. I mean, a hardcore Stephen King and his dealing with substance abuse and transitioning to a clean and sober lifestyle. But Ramiro was becoming a corporate man and struggling. You know, we were talking about this before the show, but he was writing scripts for 10 years. I mean, that's just what he was doing after Day of the Dead. So he truly is like encaptured in almost all of his characters. He's very much Ben in Night of the Living Dead. I think he is Peter in Dawn of the Dead. Maybe a mixture of Roger, too. I mean, there's I think he is very fluent with his writing style and. He was a very earnest man with his thoughts and how he processed things. So I think he could evenly distribute these characteristics through, you know, most of his cast and what he was working with. I scream. Ah! You scream. Ah! Linnea screams. 
Death by DVD. I'm Linnea, and I like Death by DVD. It's a statement. She's nick up fire. So as far as like Romero as a writer, I'd say these are his most well-written characters, probably his deepest characters, because Romero doesn't really write characters. I think he's not particularly concerned with the uh, characterization of films as much as he writes like, concepts. He's yeah, he's he's very much a conceptual director of what he's trying to get across and he expects his actors to get the character across and I think that's later in his like filmography you know his last zombie movies part of the problem is he just wasn't working with a certain caliber of actor who like who were able to take very thin material for a character and be able to take that as an actor and go off and able to develop that character yourself I'd say in survival of the dead um fucking Wyndham Earl whatever his name is the actor I can't remember um I think he had an actual character. I think he built a character himself because he is very much a character actor. He's been doing it. He's a theater guy. Yeah, and he can do it. That's his other actors just aren't capable of taking his basically thin characterizations in the script and turning it into a really meaty role. But I think Day of the Dead is his like most well-written characters by far. But a lot of that has to do with the actors too. You hit the, the nail on the head there with that because when Pitt, when he left Pittsburgh, he really went downhill. And you know when you I'm not from Pennsylvania, but when you you know read about George Romero, when you listen to Christine talk about him, when you listen to Tom talk about him, and Greg and all the people that really loved him and worked with him throughout his career and his life, he worked with Pittsburgh. He worked with Pittsburgh theater people. He worked with the soul of Pittsburgh, and that's really what sold and made a lot of his movies successful. Like with Day of the Dead. They were shooting in this, uh, was it like a, a limestone mine that was turned into a storage facility, this massive yeah. weird underground storage facility. And they were they were shooting there and they put out, you know, we're going to make this zombie movie. We need extras. And just people would show up from, from all over the country to sweep the floor, to work, to make coffee, just to be in a Romero movie. But specifically and inherently people from Pittsburgh grow up or grew up rather with with that hope and that dream of, you know, I, I could be a, a zombie in a Romero movie, that it's a very Pittsburghian thing. It's part of Pittsburgh culture. And the people that came out and supported and worked with George all had that exact same spirit, like John Amplis. He is a Pittsburgh theater guy through and through, still lives there, taught most of his life, taught theater in Pittsburgh. Uh, he's, he's a painter and still lives in the city. Tom Savini still lives there. I think Greg Nicotero lives in Georgia, probably. But all of these guys were the embodiment of what made a Romero movie. And for the most part, from Night of the Living Dead up until Day of the Dead, it was almost a family. All of these people, his entire crew stuck together. He worked for, with Creepshow, Night Riders, Season of the Witch, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead. Um, uh, I think I said Creepshow already. But all, everything from 1968 to 1986 was pretty much the same group of people. It was his wife at the time, Christine, all the same producers, all the same soundtrack guys, all the same family that they would travel. They work together, essentially Night Rider. I mean, it truly was a, a Pittsburgh thing. Like that's that's what made I don't know the the Iron City motion was really behind his movies. And then he went to Canada, and it's just 
the theater was gone and the the actors are fine but you know you needed you need a certain level of emotion with George Romero and it's a certain level that is really invoked with theater actors and that's what really makes it genuine a good portion of that though i think is also a statement on a much larger scale as far as filmmaking goes because Romero was really one of the last real independent filmmakers before the Hollywood system like ate everybody and, and I mean, he's making indie films at the same time. The the so-called quote unquote, you know, legends of indie film, Francis Ford Coppola and, and Martin Scorsese and all those cats are out there making pictures. And Ramiro is never mentioned or given the same credit with his name as, you know, Martin well, Scorsese guy. So it doesn't count. But yeah, you say you hear, you know, Martin Scorsese says this. And it has this air of authority, and it's just a, a crying rotten shame because Ramiro probably held out longer and had more soul and ingenuity and was more creative, was was a better worker. I wouldn't say, you know, I'm not going to say anyone's a better director than anyone, but was a better talent maybe than a lot of these guys that ended up selling out. The error he came about to is just... Basically, when filmmaking was still an obtainable thing, I think we're back a little bit into that. It's just you're not making large scale films like you used to, like it could blow up and be huge. You success. can go out and make a $10,000, $20,000, $30,000 movie and get it on Shutter, but Day of the Dead is three thousand as far as it's going to go. Is- what I'm trying but to let's say. look at how with independent films, things kind of have transitioned, though, like The Witch was around a three million dollar budget. So you're looking at somebody that can use money wisely. A lot of things come down to Ramiro as an individual that he specifically he knew what to do. And a lot of people that go out there and take the Robert Rodriguez route, you know, you follow your dreams, do whatever you need to do, please. But a lot of these people don't well, have that you know uh, a lot of that it. is everybody everybody who wants to be a filmmaker now what they want to do is they want to make an independent film and then they immediately want their next film to be a studio thing and Romero was never a filmmaker who was like oh yeah let's go I want I want my three picture deal it's just like I just want to make what I want to make and yeah, he got a three picture deal and he made Night Riders first like that's the type of guy Romero was <laughs> I got a three-picture deal. They're going to give me loads of money. Night Riders. All right. And if you've not seen that, um, it's funny. I think I started the show saying that Day of the Dead not only is one of my favorite movies of all time, but probably one of my favorite Romero movies. Night Rider is also heavily at the top of that list. Oh, yeah. I, I absolutely, I think that is a perfect It's movie. his most personal film by far. And it's beautiful. It, it is, it's ridiculously lengthy and it feels like it takes six days to get through, but it's a, just a, a sob story. And it's truly the type of movies Romero wanted to make. Like we've talked about uh, John Carpenter wanted to be a cowboy. He wanted to make cowboy movies and he ended up making, you know, he had no interest in making horror pictures until Halloween came along. Assault on Precinct 13 is not a fucking horror movie at all. I mean, I guess it's horrifying, but it's essentially a Western neither here nor there. These people didn't get into this. You know, Romero didn't want to be the king of zombies. He just wanted to make pictures that told stories. That's what he was into. Like uh, one of his favorite movies of all time was The Quiet Man. It's a great John Wayne movie, but it's just a movie about a guy. It's not some shoot him up, giant explosion, zombies, gore. It's, it's about a guy. He goes to Ireland. What's missing a little bit from filmmaking now is just the want need to just make art. It's not about making art. It's about, I want this to be my job. It's like, well, then 
just keep making stuff, but I'm not making any real money. Well, then you don't care about it enough because what you're wanting is you're wanting to a certain point to move to a certain celebrity of a director and just be able to make whatever you want. Yeah, I'll make the next Hellraiser movie, but it's not about that. It's about wanting to say something, and Romero is wanting to say something in his work. Um, and, and later you might be able to contest that slightly, but I think even up to Survival of the Dead, he was still trying to say a little bit of something. With all I, of I think stuff. really, definitely until the very end of his career, he was saying something. I mean, and, well, even the delivery of those movies, like uh, the one being sort of like at the time, the, the found footage, shaky cam sort of movie that I feel even that itself was a parody of the time and what was popular and the cheap effects that look, even I'm Romero and I'm going to make a shitty movie like this, but his, you know, I don't care for that movie. Uh, so I wouldn't use the term shitty, but I don't think it was the strongest, but it had a message. It was all of them are anti-establishment. And then the weird Delaware one, anti it's the same anti-authority message from Dawn day Everything, even monkey shines to an extent, is an anti-authority message that he, you know, fuck the man. One of the biggest complaints a lot of people have, though, is something like Land of the Dead and later in his career, which is like, well, it's social commentary, but he just keeps whacking you over the head with it. He's not even trying to be subtle. It's like, when was Romero ever fucking subtle about his commentary? It's bold in all of his films. I don't know why it's any different now. Other than alarmingly grow as a filmmaker and be a lot more like what was popular at the time when Land of the Dead came out. It's just like, well, that's just not who he is. Yeah, it's ridiculously over the top with a lot of its message, but you have to hit people over the head at this point to get anything through people's skulls. It's one of the alarmingly odd things when people like to point out, and, and this is just maybe in the history of Death by DVD, of I like the shows, but you guys just get really political on it. And we got a lot of feedback from our Philosophy of the Dead, George A. Romero show, where we you know talked about the career and the life of George Romero and the message behind his work, which is inherently fucking political. It's goddamn I, nearly communist, for Christ's sakes. Yeah, he is a very left-wing fucking dude. I mean, like, AOC wouldn't be left enough for George. You know, he probably had a couple Che Guevara t-shirts in his closet, let's put it that way. And to not be able to see that, to look past it, is is what he wrote about. You know, if you get angry, I was trying to listen to this podcast and they just kept talking about fucking tree-hugging liberal shit and hey, have to accept change and, and it, it pissed me off, then you are Captain Rhodes. You, you are not part of the solution. You are most certainly part of the problem and I will have a little soapbox right now and stand on it and talk about it because that you just aren't watching the fucking movie then. You, you're missing <laughs> literally the key goddamn point of what the I fuck a movie what, was about. About what? Like, how many films have you ever seen in your life because most shit and you get oh liberal Hollywood it's like I yeah, wish they keep politics out of it is. I wish that asshole Bob Dylan would just sing songs and not be so political like are you listening to what you're saying fucking Neil Young who does he think he is talking about politics I wish he'd just sing did you have you listened to him sing though have you heard him sing have you listened if to the lyrics <laughs> if you want a non-political zombie film, go watch a Zack Snyder movie. If you I want non-political rock and roll, listen to Kiss. I mean, there's watered-down there bullshit. There's stuff out there, but, like, specific things that we discuss on this show is just, like, yes. Like, Day of the Dead is about some incredibly left-leaning themes. And let me put I'm it sorry. this way. It just is. 
When you're strolling along in podcast land and you see a show titled Philosophy of the Dead, The Politics and Philosophy of George Romero, do you think that maybe it might be a little political? I mean, just possibly. I mean, it was in the goddamn title. I, I try so hard to give evident, you know, clues and things, but maybe this isn't your bag. You know, maybe film isn't your thing if you want things to be completely politics. I just wanted a zombie movie. Like, all right, I'll give it to you. Dream Warriors? That probably doesn't have uh, much of a political nature. The Beyond by Lucio Ful Lucio Fulci, Lucci, you know, whatever you want to call him. Not really a political movie. There, maybe you could, you know, really find uh, some weird stuff about the I Iran Contra. I don't know. I mean, you can look for it, <laughs> but some things at their their root and their nature are are political, and it might everything not. Everything is political. It's just on what side and how deep you want to get into. Well, you it. can. And that's when you're you picking apart sides. a movie. You need to pick it apart. You don't just go. I don't know zombies. And well, you, you can, probably shouldn't trust the military. You can be a real dick here, too, and you can strip sides away from things of let's take away the political nature of Day of the Dead. Let's not say that Rhodes and the military are the conservative right and Sarah and everyone else is the more neutral left. Because uh, throughout Sarah Frankenstein, um, McDermott and— She's a centrist. Yeah, I'll say that. You you go from like libertarian to liberal to hardcore leftist to communist with all the other characters as to where you pretty much have the conservative right. You strip those two sides apart. You only have two things left, the wrong people and the right people. And if you watch Day of the Dead and you think the whole time, well, Captain Rhodes was right, you're one of the wrong people. <laughs> That's just it. So if you want to take the political nature away, then I don't know if let's say you're a Christian, look at your Ten Commandments and your things that are wrong and right and dictate and decide who's bad. Harry Cooper, was he an inherently bad guy? No, but he turned and almost caused Ben's death out of complete and utter fear and what jealousy, rage. It's not that he was a bad person, but he was an ignorant person. That doesn't mean that you're the wrong side, but it does mean that you're ignorant, and ignorancy leads to error. Ignorance well, leads to clear, unclear decisions. Like in Day of the Dead, if everyone would have just gotten off of Salazar's back and helped him, maybe we wouldn't be in the situation we are at the end of the film. It causes the major problem in the film at the end to cause everyone to die, but it's like, well, you fucked with him. You fucked with him hard for how long? For how many months? Have yeah, you but just still, been what a dick ass? move. Like, out of everything you could do, like, that is such a severe dick move. Like, people try oh, to yeah. help I'm not, you. I'm not saying that he's not in the wrong. I'm saying what he did was wrong at all at the same time. But, it, like, you could have helped yourself. Help somebody else and you help yourself in the long run. But you don't let's look at our push lives. Push the guy off the fucking cliff harder. Let's look at our lives as humans in general, it's not you and I specifically. No one helps anyone. No one reaches their hand out. I mean, it's it's odd that you even get someone that does a little wave to you in your car letting you into a lane anymore, holds the door for you going to the grocery store. People are very, are just awful. And it's not like this is a new thing. You know, people look at the political climate and the era and they like to say that things weren't like this in my day. Yes, they were. You just didn't care or you weren't looking at it, or you weren't a part of it, but it's always been the same way, and people always have inherently been awful. They're jealous. He's okay. getting laid. He's getting special treatment. So everyone is at ends, again, because no one bothered to communicate with each other. No one bothered to say, what? okay, this is scary and something's going on. We don't know what Frankenstein's doing. We don't know what's happening. 
a, a team meeting that wasn't screaming and yelling and let's shoot each other. But again, we don't know what, what it was like with Major Cooper beforehand. To take this in a really far direction um, that a lot of people aren't going to agree with, but eh, fuck it, it's a podcast. Um, so It's a weird episode. It doesn't matter, it's, man. It's going to be really weird. But um, you get into something like reparations. I'm not saying good or bad on slave reparations. I'm not like, trying to say particularly anything. But what, as you were saying before about no one helps anyone else, the common thing you hear about when you have the discussion of reparations is, but I didn't enslave anyone. Why should I have to pay for it? That's like, not the point. That's not the point. The you're point you're missing. This is this the is point the point people is to try to help somebody. The point isn't to fuck you over. It's not all about you and you getting fucked over. Watch okay, not even reparations. Let's just quickly insert this for the audience to have two perspectives. Fucking insurance. Why should I pay for some poor people? Well, I don't fucking get it. It's the exact same cost. Because you live in society, asshole. It's Do you want to live? Do you want people to, 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 to work and to be healthy and to have a productive, healthy society? Then maybe that they should have the means to do so, like healthcare. Like medicine. I don't know. It's not a foreign, bizarre concept. Maybe if you want to survive the zombie apocalypse in an underground bunker, if you just went and talked to the guy that you've been living with for six months and figured out that guy's gone fucking brutal insane because none of us have been talking to him. And he's just been like doing weird brain surgery and training these zombies. And he's batshit. Let's just wrap this up and get out of here. Then everyone with the guns and the food could have figured out a way. You know, I mean, even just think of it, all of them talking. Terry Alexander could have found the island and in trips they could have gone and built a stronghold and everyone lived happily like Robinson fucking Caruso. But instead, Rhodes gets ripped in half. You know, nobody really has a generally good time. I don't think by the end of this, everything's okay. Fisher gets his fucking head blown off. I mean, the most non-deserving kid, the only guy in the entire movie that you just like, oh, why did they do that? Why? Well, I guess it's because John Amplis just has a, a soft face. You got to it's like killing a dog. You got to kill the really cute, soft face, nice guy. So that essentially was the dog trick, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think and that's kind of how Day of the Dead relates to modern day civility, politics, all this, because we are in the Day of the Dead situation currently because it's just sides fucking at odds ends with each other with like well hold on can we at least discuss this nope we can't dis and not I'm not even talking about stuff like human rights and things like that and gay marriage because those things aren't even up for discussion at this point that is a stupid notion even well, here's like a, a simple thing that people don't want to discuss that could you know easily be solved and should be solved is um, birth control well, that's a form of abortion pills. That's ludicrous. I've never heard anything quite that ludicrous before. What do you mean? I mean, what happens if some fucking predator rapes a 13-year-old girl? You know, something like birth control well, God, isn't psychologically happen. going to help. But, well, that's that's a sick person in society. You know, that's a man. That's a predator. And things like birth control should be available for any situation. It's not because children are promiscuous. Things like this have other meanings outside of girls having sex. And people don't want to talk about that. People don't it's want to come to the realization. level of control more than anything. It's just another way to control people and get them to step in a certain sort of line. Yeah, people don't want to realize that there are monsters within our society. And for the most part, they're everyday people and they're all over the place. But people will easily judge and say, well, a 14-year-old girl shouldn't have birth control pills because she's a whore. 
okay, that's not the reason these things were initially created. Birth control is not to just go out and get fucked. That's not its serving point or purpose. But if that's literally what your government thinks, that that should be absolutely terrifying to you, as well as them not thinking you should have insurance. All of these things and more well, are as scary as Day of the Dead. It doesn't matter what's happened to you. I didn't ask to be past. born. Fucking give me insurance. Just, I don't give a shit. I don't want to be you, here. You really didn't earn it. You should have made some better decisions like hating your life. Um, I should have become a absolutely abhorrent, carefree military guy that just shoots my way out of things. And then you get paid for it. But, you know, th- that's a... Yeah. Let, let me just like take like step back on that statement because I'm not saying it in an overall sense of the entirety of the U.S. military or anyone that has served in the military. I mean it in the sense of Rhodes and his people within the universe. But not today. everybody belongs in the military. No, whoa, yeah, absolutely, by That's no the means. Thing. And well, you can just always go into the military if you have problems. Not everyone. I don't belong in the military. I've never belonged in the military. It's not. So a how place am I supposed to, to quote unquote clean my life up? You know, if you're that weird kid that is, you know, skinning cats and wets the bed at 14 and, and loves to start fires and your parents think it's going to straighten you out to join the Marine Corps, you might be facilitating a serial killer. Like, that's not always the greatest option for somebody in life. And that, again, is something presented deeply within the themes of Day of the Dead is that these people that have obtained power don't necessarily need it, but it's the absolute hunger and and need to have the power out of essentially fear well, it's being unable to cope with fear it's trying to control the narrative of how things are and this again we were going to be stretching out in some places though but it does still relate to day of the dead a lot of people what like they always talk about fucking family values christian values we need to go back to the way things were and all the when everything was taboo and blah blah, blah. and technically Technically, they can be right because a lot of religion, a lot of believing in religion keeps a lot of people in line. The problem with that is it's a giant fucking lie. And that lie, people figured it out. So you can't go back and put everything back in Pandora's box. We have to work with what we got right now. Stop trying to hold on to the past like in Day of the Dead. We're trying to hold on to this past. No, we're past all that. To the 60s bullshit and family values. We can't go back, so we have to well, see like, what we got now. Dawn of the Dead, they spend all this time making this ignorant home that they have TVs and all these comforts that they had prior to the fall of society, and they spend all this time coming up with this instead of being progressive and trying to move, which Terry Alexander and, and Jareth Conroy want to do. That's their whole point. If we don't believe in what you guys are doing down here, we think we need to get on the big old whirly bird and fly away to the island because it's a big old tombstone. Yeah, I can't do a West Indies accent. I'm sorry. Who's ever going to give me shit? Soaking on some sunshine. No, I can't do it very well. They got um, all the negatives of your favorite movies. Oh, that's really bad. I sound like <laughs> Kofi Kingston pre-fucking New Day. I sound like Miss Jamaica gimmick. But yeah, I mean, it's just a lot of the problems we're currently having is this idea that can get back to something. Well, they're we problems we're currently having, but unfortunately they're problems that have been constantly happening. And like, let's look at the 80s. It was Ronald Reagan saying we need to do Christian family values and go back to the 50s. Boy, that worked. 
Yeah, thanks, dickhead. And then let's look at Nixon. We got to take moral Christian values and go back to the 40s. What, you puritanical weird fuck? What was so good about it? Black people couldn't drink from the same water fountain as you? What do you mean you want to go back to the good old times? When I was more comfortable and I could control things easier the way I wanted them to be. Women weren't so uppity and you could smoke at the gas station. I mean, what the fuck do you want? What I want, and this is very evident, and this is evident in Rhodes men, this is... I just want what I want, and I just want to live my life and not have to worry about anything. Well, good and if I don't like it, I can not. Oh, how things work. Like an addendum to that is, and if I don't get my way, I'm gonna blast my way out of it. Yep. And that's so, not what, civil war. Are we gonna do a civil war now because they can go on a what? They're fucking calling me a boomer. Oh, we gotta split. Uh, what? Jesus. Yeah. And Football man won't fucking to... need. You know, I'm not like, let's being just a take a little pissy bitch about it and being a little asshole about it. It's just like, stop being such a fucking asshole and deal with the situation at hand right now. This is our situation. Deal with this. Well, it's just like the people that are mad over the football man that won't put his hand over his heart. What's it's your point? Nothing to do with any of that. It has what? to do with the military. I mean, let's just like look at some of these people and, and look at the Find allegiance to something. Oh, let's, I mean, look at the molds of these people. You know, you're you're driving to work listening to John Lennon and altruistic hippies and guys like Bob Dylan while you're bitching on Facebook because a guy on a sports team won't kneel. Like, nothing you do, nothing you care about matters. It's just as hysterical as Donald Trump using people like Bruce Springsteen in his commercials. Like, have, did you listen to the music? Just to the same people that have Bruce issues. Bruce very happy with you, buddy. Trust me. Well, I mean, it's to the same people that have... Uh, Issues with the political nature being brought up in films or art or music. Have you listened or watched any of a, these things? Have you watched a movie? <laughs> have you ever seen a movie before? I mean, I'm sure that the Marvel movies have their own uh, pokes and funds that society and culture and their own political nature. Let's look at the Joker, which essentially is Taxi Driver. Most people that have sat down and watched that movie completely and utterly have missed the point, have have so devastatingly missed the point. I, I just kind of wish the movie had never been made. And it's it's very unfortunate because Joaquin Phoenix is fine and I like Todd Phillips. But the fact that massively culturally people just bloop didn't get it. It's it's alarming and it makes you wonder how many people out there root for roads, how many people out there just want to go blast them all. And that's not the mentality that is uh, healthy for a better tomorrow or healthy for change. Sometimes being afraid is necessary and sometimes being afraid is completely part of life. But more importantly, the, the, What's easy? the choice to survive is what matters. But your survival isn't inherently more important than anyone else's. You can't go through this whole world thinking you're the best. You have to work with others. What's easier other than just going, well, I know I'm right, stay the fuck out, and we just need to just do it the way I want it because I'm uncomfortable every other way. Well, do you realize that that affects other people and you're kind of hurting other people's feelings? Well, fuck them, I don't care. It's just like, well, that's... What about me? Well, I mean, what is it taking out of you? Well, I mean, that's that's the question that's most That's the asked. thing I just don't get. What's it taking out of you other than you're just fucking terrified well, white people are going to go away. Yeah, oh. and most other yeah, races are going to go away. It's okay, nothing you can do about it. It's just 300 what about years, me? there aren't going to be races. I don't want to have to pay for somebody else's insurance. What about me? What do I get about it? Insurance. You get insurance. to go to the doctor. We all get to go see the doctor. 
Well, cheaper I don't want you're going right now. I, so I don't even understand the argument. It's going to be cheaper for everything overall altogether. What you just touched upon is, is something incredibly relevant. I just don't want to be a minority in my country. What? Like, do maybe we treat minorities bad or something? Is that why you don't want to be treated like a minority in your own country? Do you, Well, maybe we shouldn't do that then. Why are you afraid of being a minority? Is it because they are not treated fairly? They are not treated with love? They are not treated as tired, sick, poor, and hungry that are needing a place, that need a future, that want to live the fucking Horatio Alger American dream? Or are they treated like sick animals that are locked away and beaten in quarantine? Because that's kind of what it seems like. There should be no fear in being a minority. There should be no disacceptance. I don't, I'm not going to be a minority in my own land. Your land, I don't know what the fuck that even means at this point. You you won a lottery. Congratulations, you're born in Alabama. I don't know what the fuck are you talking about. That's a fucking genetic mistake, if anything. You were born in America and not a better country. But, you know, putting this back to Day of the Dead, that's essentially, they're they're in this underground complex, and that's what Rose... It's all the same stuff, though. Yeah, that's what Rose and his people are doing. We're not really leaving the subject matter, because we're still all in the same shit. This is all rooted in the same subject matter as Day of the Dead. Putting it um, to, you know, a term to to deliver it back to the movie, this is what Rhodes and his people are doing, that they are, it doesn't matter what they're at. They just want to be king of the hill. They're in this shit underground complex. They don't need something because what's the point if I can't be number one? I mean, their supplies have got to be dwindling. Frankenstein makes a comment about not having enough ammunition for anything. And Frankenstein has a, a pretty, I don't remember the goddamn numbers, but his assessment with how many zombies to people ratio is left is something like 600 humans would be left alive in the United States. So at this point, you know, following the timeline of night and dawn, the world's over. Which it makes land a bit unbelievable because it seems like 600 people live in that city. Well, you don't, I mean, there's no communication going on. All the lines are broken down. So, I mean, nobody really knows what else is going on. So you just kind of have to forge your own way at this point. And I think, I'm not sure how far after Day of the Dead, Land of the Dead takes place. I don't think too long. I think it's been like a a year or two span, probably. Have you ever heard the, um, I, I think it's stupid, but I'll bring it up. Have you ever heard the Captain Rhodes theory? Go for it. Fans like to say that uh, Rhodes is the same guy from Dawn of the Dead. I knew that was coming. Um, yeah, and- Joe Pilato appears briefly in, what was it, the European cut? I don't remember which one he's so actually he's a in. cop who then and a week becomes the a captain. National Guard or whatever, and then like... In a and we, we recently discussed this, but what's the timeline? Like, what's the timeline from Night, Dawn, and Day? Because it's only a couple months, right? Yeah, like... There's night, which is the first night. Then dawn's like three weeks after it started. And then, like, you know, you're probably nine months into it by the end of it. Because um, the newspaper reads at the beginning of um, Day of the Dead, like the, the, the president's yeah. gone missing. The, the vice president has enacted martial law or something like that. But, you know, the whole world is or the whole country is essentially gone to hell. Yeah. And, there, and I think day is probably a couple of years after because, I mean, at a certain point, the zombies are going to deteriorate anyway. They're not going to just walk around for fucking 20 years. But um, That's been my constant quandary with The Walking Dead and its massive think, amounts of time jumps, is how the fuck are they still giant plagues of zombies just roaming about? I think up to, like, Land of the Dead, I think it's probably, like, a maximum of 10 years, maybe six, seven years. And, and then the other ones go back to the first night, right? 
Yeah, I know. I mean, that Dire of the Dead survival, who really gives a shit when they take place? Because um, that's all just a mess. Again, I actually like Dire of the Dead, but, you know, I, I like I like my George movies. I don't dislike anything Ramiro did, but I don't have strong feelings toward these movies. But, you know, there's... There's brilliance in Dire of the Dead in sections. I Like, in little bits and scenes and kills. And, like, maybe the execution isn't the greatest, but I think... He's got some really good ideas in there. And I think Survival of the Dead, his biggest thing was he just wanted to have fun. He had a bunch of stupid, like, zombie kill fucking gags that are terrible. And just, I, I, I think he just wanted to make a movie. And I can't believe, I, who said it? I think it went all the way back to our, um, like, uh, Chaz Ballin tribute show that maybe it was Steve Bissett said something like, uh, any movie from Romero, or from Romero at this point is just a blessing just like don't yeah don't shit about it because anything you're getting is just a blessing at his age that you're getting anything at all so don't harp on it too much uh it's it's funny that you mentioned that that i was watching one of the makings of day of the dead it was the the original if you had that set not the new shout factory making of but i got really you know teared up and kind of bittersweet feeling that the feeling of excitement i remember standing in line waiting to see land of the dead and uh, the original making of was back when it was just called dead reckoning it was just a thought in ramiro's mind and i remember uh, sitting on forums and chatting and spending hours of my life excited about dead reckoning and the feeling of a new ramiro movie coming out just the absolute joy in knowing that george ramiro was you know i could go to the theaters and see a george ramiro movie and how just that's gone Maybe re-releases are one thing, you know, that's fine, but there's a whole generation now that is going to miss out on that just absolute joy of seeing something by George Romero from, you know. A whole generation is going to miss out on movie theaters, for Christ's sakes. I mean, let's be real here. I don't think many people are going to be seeing anything in a movie theater in the next 10, 15 years. It's just a shame in general, you know, that uh, Romero does have a, a new film technically coming out from, I believe, 1973, 1972. That's more of a documentary, more or less than anything, but it still should be fun to see. I, I look forward to seeing it. I don't I think I think this, this is obviously going to be more of a political story than anything else because it's about ageism. People can say what they want to about the creep show series on Shudder. I think it's got the spirit of George Romero in it. I think it's. It ain't great. I'm not saying it's just like, this is so well made. It's just one of the best things. Well, the spirit of George is very well. It reminds me of George's stuff for the most part, like Monsters and Tales from the Darks. I know he didn't really have to do with Monsters, but just that era. It's very George lit. Yes. And I think it's very much a nice tribute to George, uh, especially when so many people like are like are forgetting about him at this point there. I mean, I don't think. The modern directors were inspired by fucking Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, for Christ's sakes. Well, I mean, like, I know there's people out there that are directing films that are inspired by Ryan Johnson and these guys, but I think the spirit of Ramiro, and especially, you know, toward the time of his death, was more celebrated and more present than it ever was. And it's very sad that he's dead, but I think, you know, when, when he was dying, when he was sick, it, it, the zombie thing was really at its its top peak, and t- that's Nicotero. I mean, the spirit of George Romero is on AMC every Sunday. The Walking Dead itself, you know, it comes straight pretty much from the heart of of George Romero, the king of zombies. And these guys are it's just amazing. You know, when when I was a teenager, when you were a teenager to think that guys like Greg Nicotero would be, you know, show running something that the whole world is pretty much watching, that these guys just like us, just like you listening 
that absolutely adore and love these things just work their ass off and look at where they are. That's the spirit of George Romero. All of these guys were taught how to do this by George. And like we talk about the school of H.G. Lewis and uh, the Roger Corman film school and Larry Cohen and, and all these guys that taught a generation like James Cameron had to, to get out there and to get things done. But George Romero himself spiritually uh, is responsible. Oh, he lives on. I mean, well, I mean, his, his spirit he is responsible a for... fucking sub genre of horror. He created the, the modern day zombie. Like that's like the worldwide pop culture. See how many zombie movies there are just because of him. Yeah. I mean, he that's created, for fuck's sakes, he created a monster, which well, is that's what I unheard mean. of. Like spiritually, his uh, essence and his influence resonates and constantly lives on. But the people he actually taught still work. These guys that learn something from him, you know, him and, and Savini uh, together were like Abbott and Costello. You know, they were a, a dynamic duo. They were fucking the greatest when they put their heads together because they Romero was a really different type of director. He let people grow. He let people talk. You know, if you wanted to do a scene over again or you had something you wanted to bring to the table, he'd go, all right, let's shoot it again. Let's do it. He would go to Tom and say, how am I going to do this? How like, uh, for example, the hand, the wall scene in Day of the Dead. He had an idea. He went to Tom and said, all right, I want uh, hands out of the wall. How do we do this? Tom essentially did that. You know, he set that up that it's it's co-directing to an extent. But what it is is communication. One of the things that is massively lacking in all of his stories because people are too pigheaded to do it. What made Romero so completely beautiful was his way of communicating. The man should have been a politician. The, he just wasn't a liar. <laughs> you know, he, he could have communicated to a nation. He just wasn't a filthy, awful liar. Uh, he was an artist and no artist should ever be a politician. It'll just destroy you emotionally and mentally. Um, no, 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 I'd have voted for Andy Warhol for president. But like, I would have also voted for Valerie Solanas for president, though. So what does that say about me? Another thing that George Romero really did with Day of the Dead, I'd say more than anything, is he made it dirty. He made zombies something to be feared, something... Because up until then, zombies were just kind of like, I mean, it was a thing, and it was a, you know, I mean, you were kind of scared of them, but then it became like, Jesus Christ. What do you always describe the fans of of Day as? Like, fucking goblins. The real, like, trolls. Day of the Dead. Me and... Me and the other, like, trolls and goblins. It's just like, yeah, like, the real hardcore, like, horror nuts, the people who really, when the apple card is upset, don't want to be righted. The real fucking psychopaths and probably leftists. (laughs) Um, Really like Day. Like, perfectly with Day is his ability to write and to focus on what is essential for a story and what makes a story powerful and important that you know he was given seven million dollars to do this which to him was ample and enough money to do this really elaborate story but he had to do it his way it had to be unrated and seven million dollars on an unrated movie you know that's just not going to fly that they got to be able to show this you know you you use the term unrated or x-rated and you don't think much about it but what that means essentially is that the movie couldn't be written about most newspapers wouldn't take out ads on it. It wouldn't be on marquees. The movie was going to make no fucking money. Nobody was going to hear about it, and it's going to play at a porn theater at two in the morning. So nobody wants to drop seven fucking million dollars on that. So George, you know, took what he needed to do. Said, "I got an idea. It's got to be unrated. This is how we're going to do it. I'll take three. And he cut it down to size. And 
it's and like it became Stephen the King. basis of Stranger Things season three, basically for fuck's sakes. Well, I mean, it's like let's look at Stephen King and then some of our recent discussions about him. Like he hates the Kubrick Shining, and he goes back and does his Shining, and he did his Children of the Corn, and they're very long-winded, and so much that he wanted in the story isn't essential to the plot. Like I gotta have the bitchy fighting wife. No, you've got enough of that. Just let it be. You gotta cut things down and and change and and. Again, people's inability to change and their fear of it is what stops them from creating, you know, even better art, even more uh, un, uh, untethered things from, you know, your your concepts, uh, more creative flowing things. And that's what Ramiro did because he allowed people to work with him. He let Tom Savini work with him. He let Nicotero work with him. He let his actors say, you know, I want to do this. I want to do that. Like one of the best scenes in the movie where Bub listens to Beethoven Sherman Howard just, you know, was on his way home from work and, and thought that, you know, what would it be like if Bob listened to music? He came back and said to George, what would it be like if Bob listened to music? And he went, I don't know. Let's film it. Let's see. Yep. And they did the scene and it worked and it was fluent and it made. Well, film is collaborative for fuck's sakes. I mean, well, so, if you're people... not collaborating, if you're a tyrant like Quentin Tarantino. Um, well, I, mean, I wouldn't even I'm say throwing that out there, but I yeah, mean, I, I think he's a pretty weak example. But there, I mean, there are definitely like Edward Norton is he he wants to be the king of everything. You hire Edward Norton for a role, he's going to rewrite it. He he will not collaborate and say, I think this could be in here. It ha- no, I, it's in my uh, contract. I'm going to rewrite fifty percent of this because this is what I feel because I'm fucking Edward Norton. That's not being an open collaboration. And that's why your weird fucking movies about stuttering guys. And the did you 40s see that film. trailer? It looks <laughs> yeah. real bad. It looks like one of the dumbest fucking movies. He's it ever was so made. cheap and just like really poorly made. Why are you trying to make a noir thriller it, it at this day and age? Head. Let it go. You are the guy from fight club and American history X. And you managed to make an incredible Hulk movie. That was worse than the fucking bill Bixby show. I love the show. Don't get me wrong. But it's not a good thing that the 80s TV show fucking is better than your movie. It's sad that the Eric Bana Nick Nolte movie is better than your movie. Nothing Nick Nolte did. I don't did. know about that. I don't, I don't know. I don't uh, Tim know. Roth was fine, but I will take swarthy ass Nick Nolte over that weird fucking emotional. I don't want like an Edward Norton emotional Hulk story. It's a guy that gets big and turns green and purple pants. It's a rage monster. Yeah, you don't need to make this any more emotional than it was, Ed. It's all right, but... And God, what's that movie, the last Brando movie he did with Robert De Niro? That was a piece of big, flaming... Oh, the score? Yes, the score. Yeah, that sucked. Wow, what a bad, weird movie to reference on this. Marlon Brando's film. I think I did, too. I saw it. I don't know what I just watched, but that was incredibly boring. That's the guy from The Godfather? All right. Yeah, it came um, came out after Fight Club, didn't it? Yeah, it was like 2001. Yeah, it was like, one of like one of Brando's. It might have been Brando's actual final film. I think it was. I, I don't remember. So all in all, the score really isn't a good movie. <laughs> but the score for Day of the Dead is pretty goddamn good. I used to not enjoy it, but the the weird Did I bump Floridian that shit? Calypso shit. I kind of meant to now. Like the John Harrison score, I think really works with the film. Especially it's funny like, that people listening to this episode by this point are probably going to love and hate the score because it's going to play in the background. <laughs> well, like, um, Doom Doom, that was watching Doom Doom Stranger Things 3, this uh, season three, 
there's a scene where they're playing the day of the dead score in the background and it's two characters having like almost like the same it's the same score from the um sarah uh john monologue we'll scene and it just works so well in stranger things as well and it just it, like because it, it took me a minute to put my finger on it. it's like what this sounds a lot like the day of the dead theme and it just was speaking um, of the score you, i have a question yeah there's a weird in it. It starts when Rhodes is um, trying to escape on the golf cart, but there's like this weird electric guitar theme that starts playing throughout the movie that I've read. There was a whole like song with lyrics and stuff recorded for it, and they just oh, used uh, the instrumental for it. I have no idea. I know that the the last song in the movie is rather odd, but I don't know. I, I still kind of dig it for the movie. Dune, dune, dune. And it has the, the lady singer, whatever the fuck. <laughs> now, I've always had a weird love for the Day of the Dead, um, just soundtrack in general. And for me, it's been one of the most horrifying, not just Romero movies, but horror movies that I have a lot of memories of a teen, as, uh, funnily enough, as you, as a teenager watching Day of the Dead. And for the There's most part, hollow about the soundtrack. And it has a lot to do with the cave as well to me. Yeah, um, there's just something it's much just more multi-layered. It's just the layers work so well, I think. Well, there, there's anxiety added almost by how pleasant it sounds. That it's like a false sense of comfort that it starts to overwhelm you because nothing is okay, but you have this illusion that because of the sound and the structure of the sound, things are okay, but it echoes and it's deep and it's wet. And I, I always have these memories of watching this very late at night, you know, uh, on summer nights usually and you'd go out to smoke or you'd go outside and you would just feel that you know you watch this movie you you feel like a weird climate change you and you know you it looks kind of from the beginning of the movie you get this idea that it's the subtropics and then they're underground so i just have always had this feeling that it was damp and moist and just kind of nasty and you just get this feeling uh, that comes over you when you watch the movie that makes you feel this this damp weirdness and it's just very claustrophobic it makes you very jumpy it's a it's a movie you can watch in the dark and then you feel a little creeped out constantly and it never fails like day of the dead always to me like if you ask me something that scares me or will make me uneasy i this is a movie that i will flip the lights on and lock the doors after i watch it i know zombies aren't real but still I'll watch Day of the Dead, and I think they're there. It always freaked me out the most, and I think it has a lot to do with the body horror involved. And what, like, the the face peeling is one scene. Uh, The eyes in the socket of Tasso's, like, being severed head. I love the scream. I love when his voice changes. Oh, yeah, yeah, that bit of sound design is fucking amazing. But mostly, it's the fingers getting bit off. Oh it's God! Fingers it's, getting bit off, it and just, he's just it laughing when it's happening. That creeps me out. Crazy. I don't know why it creeps me out so much, but it's just like one of those things. And with Tom Savini's effects and just how realistic it. it what about is, the shovel like, head? Oh, I mean that's a it's a nice effect, but it's just not like as visceral as those others. Like when people are torn apart in this movie, it doesn't feel like a comic book scene, like say in Dawn of the Dead. It feels like absolute stark reality of this is what it's like well, being torn apart was, as a person. That was the environment with Dawn of the Dead, that it wasn't, you know, low budget. And people ask that all the time. You know, why does the blood look so cheesy? That's what they went with. That was the design and the feeling that they they wanted to go with. Tom Savini could have made fucking realistic blood. You know that. You you damn well know that. It was it was the point. Everybody just used stage blood. And when I say stage blood, it's you purchased it from the 3M company. It was used for the stage. It was used for plays. It had to be seen so you could see it from massive roads away. It was very bright. 
Yeah, and when it's very bright and on a like a, a film, it shows up being very. And there orange. were, there were no 4K restorations to show how orange it was. That these were being shown, you know, on, on TV to TV and and really bad copies. So it it played off. It's a weird complaint people have. The the visceral nature of Day of the Dead is to accentuate the what you're feeling and the loneliness and how oh, awful God, so it really funny. is. You know, you I'm totally alone watching the film. But it's not like a, a choice. You know, it's not like these characters are lonely or angsty or angry because they chose to do this. It's you see this visceral nature. You see how gory these deaths are, how painful, how awful the deaths are. Uh, this is why they're this lonely. Uh, again, talking about some of the, the more violent natures of the scenes when Salazar fucks up, a guy gets his throat slashed open and then shoots Nicotero and he's just laying there bleeding and he says to steel you know don't let me become one of them just take me like that you even sympathize with steel despite him being a racist piece of shit i mean you that everyone is so lonely these people might not have known each other outside of this military service but he just had to shoot someone essentially that he is is family with now at this point and then only family because the only people he knows that are still alive well wrapping to the end of the movie with it here i mean how how wrong you look at these characters and you look at hope and you look at what the right things are. So Sarah decides to save Salazar and cuts off his arm. But half the military guys got wiped out because of his ignorance and his inept ability to to just admit that there was a problem, that he had to continue his service because he had to prove a point that he was just as strong as Sarah like, was Steel out of place wanting to kill him? If Steel had just overpowered and shot Salazar and ended this, would things have just gone back to normal? Somewhat. Almost everyone's gone and dead, and there's going to be a power struggle. I mean, yeah, things wouldn't have been clear and okay, but the lack of fucking communication was the problem. Uh-huh. I mean, Salazar fucked things up. Maybe, maybe Steel shooting him wouldn't have been such a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> He went Coming and got down every- on Steel's side, man. He, he went and got everybody. Fuck no, fuck Steel. I mean, his death too, though, was again one of the heartstrings, and he had that that moment, that one last bullet. What am I gonna do? And does the sign of the cross, and then just blasts himself. You have for even the douchebags a bit of sympathy, but I will say there is nothing greater, and and just. You almost want to clap. I can't not yell choke on him every time. But when fucking Joe Pilato gets ripped in half, that's not the best deserving death for such a brutal bastard of a character. Uh, it's clap worthy. And the story behind what happened and how much Joe Pilato had to suffer is is almost even better. He swore up until his death that uh, Savini did it to him on purpose, but they used in three different scenes the same guts and Savini insisted on using actual guts real intestines for this and they had been keeping you know, a shoot the scene put it into the fridge somebody unplugged the fridge on a, a two-week stop of filming uh joe Pilato believed that they did it on purpose to get a true effect out of him i don't know the rest of the cast and crew seemed to be pretty disgusted and had to deal with quite a lot but those were two-week rotten guts that they filmed that scene with and boy does it work I mean, you really can see just hatred in Joe Pilato's face. And it's because he's smelling a bunch of uh, rotten Greek salad. That's again, <laughs> I never understood what that scene meant, but I, I quoted every time. Just a mouthful of Greek salad. What do you mean? A mouthful of delicious? What are you talking about, Joe Pilato? I love feta. Are we all just jerking each other? off? She don't got to jerk off like the rest of us, though. <laughs> She's got an honest dunk dig to get off on. 
And then you've got the one great line of dialogue from Greg Nicotero. I'm not getting paid. Which he probably wasn't the whole time. Ah, uh, he probably made a little bit. Yeah, I think that's a... Uh, or was he an intern? I can't remember. I think he was the guts guy. Officially, I think that's what Tom Savini had him labeled Good as. Boy. I'm sure he got paid because uh, he was in the, 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 the movie, but God, he was 17, 18 years old, still living with his parents, and this was the start of such an amazing career. I'm a big Greg Nicotero fan. I just like him. It's not necessarily his work. I just like no, Greg Nicotero. He's a guy who was going to be a doctor, loved movies, got involved, ground floor with Tom Savini, and became... You can relate to a guy like him. in Hollywood of just, like, following his dreams and fucking becoming a goddamn multimillionaire because of it. I mean, you can just relate to a guy like him, though, that he he loved something and he loved what we all love, which at its true nature. I mean, we talk about shit like Badlands and The Witch and The Devils and Stephen King movies. But this is the White House, which I'm seeing next week, Hank. I can't wait for you to spill your beans. (laughs) But at its nature, at its core, Death by DVD is a absolute love of horror. And that, you know, that's, I think, what brought us together. I think that's in general. We'll just say film in general. I mean, film in general, but I think we met over horror. I think a lot of our audience and people that come to the show is over horror. And and one of the things that is like the pinnacle of horror is George Romero. And like uh, unquenchably, I don't think he ever got to make a political film. Like he never like unquenchably is in like he never got to fill the cup of, of how much he wanted to politically put into a movie, but Day of the Dead's probably the closest. And Day of the Dead also worked then and it works now, and it's going to work in another 50 years because xenophobia well, is forever. Remake. Boy, I watched that like last week too. Okay, that which one is the remake? I've the seen... remake is so good, man. Day of the oh, Dead no, with Dutch... Nina Savari and Nick Cannon. Jesus, what a good movie. Is it? Is it Dutch? Is it um, Eastern European? I, I think I've seen it. Day, Day of the Dead Contagion is... The no, one. no, no, no. That's the sequel. I'm talking about the remake. The terrible remake from 2008. Okay, is that the one? It's with the real bad. It's, oh, it's so bad. Yeah, I don't... I, I barely even remember that. I've seen the sequel, the weird part two. Where the, um, there's a bud, no bub, but there's a bud zombie who was a vegetarian, so, wait, so he doesn't eat people. What's the one about... The weird rapist guy that becomes a zombie and stalks the chick and wears a that red. This is sweater. another remake. Okay. Of Day of the Dead that they made like a couple of years ago, like blood. It's like a weird offshoot. Thing That's the one I'm like Dutch or Eastern European or whatever. That's what I was thinking of. So I'm like, there's got to be another no, side of it. Plus, there's that um that sequel they made, in, like a Contagion or whatever. Contagion, yeah. There's a lot of spinoff garbage from Day of the Dead, which is richly undeserved because take a brilliant film like Day of the Dead and then just make some crappy exploitation bullshit and make a buck off its name. Uh, I know people don't want to hear it and it makes them spicy, but I, I wouldn't be completely against the Day of the Dead remake if it was handled well. I mean, like, we recently had the discussion about the crazies. I, I watched the remake again. I don't care for it, but it's all right. It's a good movie and was handled well. I don't like it. I mean, that's my personal opinion, but it's it's still... I, like it. I think it's it, one of the better ones. It's a, yeah, it's a good movie. It is a better uh, Romero remake than some of the other things that are out there. I just don't like how it was handled. I don't care that they're weird, rotting-looking zombies. That kind of takes away what made the the crazy so scary to me. They're just crazy it's people that look like the, this. The thing of you don't know who's crazy and who is crazy. I mean, so but it's overall, it's a really well-filmed movie. I will... 
watch anything with Timothy Elephant in it. I think he's great. Except Scream 2. Uh, he's all right in Scream 2. I'll give him that. Fuck that movie. He's really so, uh, great in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which you'll probably never see. I guess we're about done with Day of the Dead again. Yeah, we'll probably be back in like we'll two or three weeks. One. We'll do a Day we'll of the Dead show. Because <laughs> this is what we do. We talk about Day of the Dead. Every we're few years, it just happens. You can thank Joe Bob Briggs. You tag him on Twitter. Thanks, Joe Bob Briggs, because Death by DVD did a two-hour episode babbling about socio-political nature of George A. Romero again for the second time this fucking year. <laughs> I think we kind of skipped Day of the Dead on that show because we had to move on to some other things. Or we just got lost towards the end. I think we repeatedly said, just give us time and we're going to come back and do a really long Day of the Dead show. And it's going to happen. But I'll say, you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to come up with, like, my favorite Romero list. But I'll say Day of the Dead's probably probably number my two. My top three. three are Day of the Dead, Martin, and Night Riders. Yeah, that's... Uh, so Not here, that order, either. Here's where my issue is, is trying to get the order, because mine is Night Riders, Martin, and Day of the Dead. But I think it's Martin, Night Riders, and then Day of the Dead. So I think I, Day of the Dead comes in as number might, three. I think it might be Night Riders. I don't know either. I think I... I didn't want to say that. No, I think we're both that guy because Knight Riders, Knight Riders just has a a relatability that in your heart of hearts, you understand what that goddamn black bird is. You know what it is. And you're chasing the dragon. I'm chasing the dragon. We're out chasing the dragon. Well, okay. The ashtray is full and the bottle is empty. Choke on them. Death by DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning.